0: If you have your Bibles with you, once again, I invite you to join me in looking at the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1052. If you're a guest with us, we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23, and I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject this morning, the God of the living, Matthew chapter 22. Beginning in verse 23, and this is what the word of God says, the same day Sadducees came to him. ...who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all... The woman died in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon declares that God has put eternity Into man's heart and yet many of us today try to deny this reality thinking that this life is the end while others embrace an afterlife but it is an afterlife of their own ingenuity and not the eternity that the Bible teaches the Bible teaches clearly that this life is not the end that God indeed has put eternity into every one of our hearts And that God has declared that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The Bible teaches clearly, friends, that there will be a resurrection of life for those who know Christ as their Savior. And there will be a resurrection of judgment and eternal punishment for those who do not know Christ as their Savior. And it is this subject of resurrection that Jesus is confronted with in this passage by those who do not believe in eternity. After the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians left Jesus, marveling at his wisdom, the Sadducees approached Jesus, launching the second trap against him. And like those before them, the Sadducees hoped to entangle Jesus in his words, thereby discrediting him in the eyes of the Jews or by coaxing him into making traitorous statements against Rome. Either way, their goal was simply to destroy Jesus. And so they bring to him a question regarding marriage and the resurrection. And would you notice with me, first of all, in verses 23 to 28... The denial of the resurrection. Matthew says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brothers, so too, the second and third, and down to the seventh. And after them all, the woman died in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. The same day that Jesus had delivered his trilogy of judgment parables. And the same day that the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians attempted to entangle Jesus in his words, the Sadducees came to him with a question of their own. Now the Sadducees were the aristocrats of Judaism. They were largely in control of the temple and the operation of the priesthood. And it was primarily through the temple concessions of money changing and sacrifice selling that they obtained their wealth. And their power. This group was so prominent that the high priest and the chief priest, as well as most of the members of the high Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, were Sadducees. Because of their power and their influence, the Sadducees often distanced themselves from the common people and acted superior to them. And as a result, most of the Jews, especially the Pharisees, hated them. Moreover, the Sadducees were disliked for their political views. They were strong supporters of Rome and all of Rome's pagan rulers because it was only by Roman permission that they exercised their religious and political control over the people. And because they were valuable in helping keep the masses under control, the Sadducees were delegated limited authority by Rome including having their own police force in the form of a temple guard. Furthermore, the Sadducees were despised because of their religious views. They had been described as extreme fundamentalists. And on certain religious matters, they were viewed as being more absolutist and more rigid and more legalistic than the Pharisees, if you can believe that. They refused "...to acknowledge any worth, much less any authority, in the oral or written interpretations of Scripture or in rabbinical traditions. They were fastidious in Levitical purity and they prided themselves in being the preservers of the real truth." It's important to note that the Sadducees only accepted the authority of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament... And they did not believe in a spirit world, in angels, in demons, and they did not believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. And because they rejected the notion of life after death, they didn't believe in heaven, they didn't believe in hell, they didn't believe in eternal judgment, and they didn't believe in eternal rewards. They believed that obedience to God brought blessing in this life and that disobedience to God brought retribution in the here and now. They worried far less about losing their eternal souls than about losing their temporal power and control over the people. As one commentator said, in a sense, we could say that they sought to have their best life now. And like the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians, the Sadducees, in verse 24, if you'll notice, try flattery to get Jesus to lower his defenses by referring to him as a teacher. As some have described it, this was simply polished scoffing on the part of the Sadducees. Their choice of titles was duplicitous because it was as a teacher that they intended to embarrass and entrap Jesus through his words. And though they believed the soul perished with the body and that resurrection was a myth, in attempt to trap Jesus, the sadducées constructed an outlandish scenario that included both. And so you'll notice in verse 24 the sadducées quote Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 6 and then referred Jesus to the levirate Provision of the Old Testament, which states in verse 24, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now this custom of marriage had been practiced for many centuries and had been honored by God long before he gave it to Moses and directed it in his law. We see it first appear in Genesis chapter 38 verses 8 through 10. We see it again a little later in the Old Testament when Boaz took Ruth as his wife because her first husband had died. Now this law was a gift of God's grace to his people, and it ensured the preservation of the deceased man's family by raising up a legal heir, It ensured an inheritance by keeping property in the deceased man's family. And it ensured the economic security and social protection of widows. To the Sadducees, this law and its implications were the strongest argument against the idea of resurrection. And we see this clearly in the scenario that they bring to Jesus. So in verses 25 to 27, you'll note the Sadducees present their illustration to Jesus, saying once more, now there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brothers, so to the second and the third, down to the seventh, and after them all, the woman died. And then in verse 28, once they set their trap, the Sadducees asked their question, In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Now, I'll remind you this morning that this was not a genuine question on the part of the Sadducees. How can you say that? Well, I've already told you. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. So why would they ask The question, and there's a simple answer to that, friends, to trap Jesus. Their question assumed that if there were resurrection life, it would be similar to the life they were now living. And if that were true, the woman with seven husbands on earth would have seven husbands in heaven, or she would be separated from six of her husbands and given to one. Either way, the Sadducees' point was simply to deny the resurrection and make the resurrection seem utterly absurd and thereby attack Jesus' own claims of his future resurrection. We can say definitively, That this scenario that they describe, this question that they present to Jesus can all be summed up in a simple denial of the doctrine and the truth of the resurrection. And through their question, the Sadducees not only deny the resurrection, they openly attack the resurrection. And you may find yourself here today with a similar view. Maybe you're here today because somebody invited you, and you were trying to be polite, and you wanted to keep your friendship, and so you came. But you really don't believe in eternity. You really don't believe in a real resurrection. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've been deeply hurt by someone who claimed to be a Christian And you've carried this hurt with you for a long time in your life. And you've said to yourself that if this is what Christianity produces, I don't want any part of it. And so you deny the truth and you deny the resurrection. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've embraced one of the false religions or ideologies of the world. Like Hinduism or Buddhism or something in the New Age movement. You believe in an afterlife, you believe in reincarnation, you just don't believe in resurrection. Can I simply just ask you this morning, if any of that describes you, what is your hope in life? What is your purpose in living if this life is all there is? How do you get out of bed each morning? How do you go about your day? How do you pursue a purpose and a meaning in your life if there is no resurrection can I ask you what is your hope in death is it to be reincarnated as an animal like the Hindus believe friends do you understand this morning that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ there is absolutely no hope in this life and there is absolutely no hope in your death after all isn't it interesting that those who denied the resurrection approach the one who is the resurrection for their answers? Well, we not only see the re- rejection of the resurrection, in verses 29 to 33, we also see the defense of the resurrection. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. You'll notice in verse 29, Jesus responds to the Sadducees' question, and look at how he answers them. He simply says to them, you are wrong. And to make sure that you feel the weight of his answer, I want to define the word wrong for you. It literally means in the language to go astray, to wander off, or to deceive. In its form here, it means to lead oneself off course or to stray from the truth. It often carries the idea of being cut loose from reality. And with that understanding, now listen to Jesus' answer. You have left reality. You are crazy. You have wandered off and you're diving off the cliff in your theology and in your thinking. You are wrong. And he proceeds to tell the Sadducees why they are wrong in verse 29. And look at his answer. And listen to it. And let it sit in your mind and in your heart this morning. Why are they wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You are fundamentally wrong. You are deceived. You are not living in reality. You are headed for the cliff because... You don't know the Word of God, and you don't know the power of God. And with this statement, do you know what Jesus was really saying to them? You do not know God. Or you wouldn't even ask a question like you've asked. And according to Jesus, the Sadducees' fundamental error was that they were trying to detach the Word of God. Listen. From the power of God. And I want you to know this morning, friends, that this is an impossible task. For it is through the Scriptures, it is through the Word of God that you and I learn and understand the power of God that is at work in our lives even in this very moment. Oh, the Sadducees, they prided themselves in knowing the Torah. They knew the law. They were experts in the law. But listen, they rejected the rest of the Old Testament. And if they had only embraced all of the Scriptures, they would have been confronted with several passages throughout the Old Testament that pointed them to resurrection life and that pointed them to the power of God to raise the dead. For instance, in the oldest book in your Bible if they would have read it and understood it, they would have come to Job 19 verses 25 to 27 where Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God resurrection whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another and my heart faints within me at the prospect of this resurrection. Or they would have been confronted with the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19, where he prophesied, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. No resurrection in the Old Testament? You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Or they would have been confronted with the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Oh, if they had only known the scriptures. They would have known the power of God to raise the dead. And do you know friends? That in the New Testament, the Bible tells us through the Apostle Paul that it is the ability to raise the dead that highlights and emphasizes the power of God. Listen to Ephesians 1 verses 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Did you, did you hear Paul's description? What is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us? The immeasurable greatness Measure of God's power towards His people is in the fact in the reality that He rose His one and only Son from the grave and seated Him at His right hand in glory. If you want to know if God is powerful, look to the empty cross and the empty tomb. Look to the heavens and see Jesus seated by His heavenly Father. That is a testimony and display of the power of God. And Jesus says to them, if you had known the scriptures, you would have known of the power of God. Now listen carefully to your pastor this morning. A failure to know the scriptures leads to faithlessness in the power of God. You fail to know and believe and grasp your Bible. I'll submit to you that you will be faithless in what you believe God can do. Through His mighty power, because they failed to read and embrace all of Scripture, the Sadducees came to Jesus with an heavenly question, but with an earthly mindset. So notice what happens in verse thirty. Jesus continues His answer to the Sadducees, and look at how He does it by explaining marriage. And the resurrection. And he says to them in verse 30 For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And with this statement, Jesus simply affirms the resurrection. Do you see it? They denied the resurrection, and in Jesus' simple answer, he begins by affirming the resurrection. You're wrong. You're not living in reality. In the resurrection, marriage is like this. And then he corrects the Sadducees' earthly thinking. And notice what he tells them. And notice what he tells us. That marriage and remarriage will not continue in heaven that according to jesus the resurrected life will not be an exact continuation of our earthly life and some of us are shocked this morning by this statement what our marriage won't continue in heaven and others of us might be relieved that it won't continue in heaven But to our surprise, he says that in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And with this statement, Jesus turns our thoughts of eternity upside down, doesn't he? How could he say something like that? Well, I found this quote by one commentator helpful. He said, this may sound like bad news if you're in a good marriage. But we can be assured that the relationship we have with our Christian spouses now will be even better in the next life. In the resurrection, we who know Christ will be joyful and fulfilled in the eternal presence of God. And in that day, there will be no sorrow or sadness, and all of our relationships will be perfect. Now, friends, the purpose of Jesus' statement on marriage here was not to provide a comprehensive theology, of marriage. He only mentions marriage because it was what was presented to him by the Sadducees. And so he is responding to their illustration and their story and their question. And he addresses the topic of marriage only as a defense of the resurrection. Do you see that? He's defending the truth of the resurrection. So why would he say that marriage will cease? Don't you want to know? Aren't you dying for the answer to that question? Thank you. Well, as Paul outlines in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 50, which is what Seth read and prayed for us this morning, the power of God creates a wholly new kind of life in the resurrection. It means in heaven. There will be no need for procreation. There will be no death. And most importantly. There will be no sin. And As a result. The intimacy. And the trust. And the friendship. And the companionship. That are unique. To the best of marriages. Will be characteristic Of all relationships in heaven. Our love for one another will be perfect. And our love for God will be undivided devotion to him. One commentator said in that day when sin is abolished and with it our alienation from God and from neighbor spouses shall become capable of relating to one another with far greater freedom and intimacy than is now possible or tolerable or even imaginable. Greater intimacy. Not less. Randy Alcorn who's written the definitive book on heaven other than the Bible, said this. Jesus said the institution of human marriage would end, having fulfilled its purpose, but he never hinted that deep relationships between married people would end. In our lives here, two people can be business partners, tennis partners, or pinochle partners, or pickleball partners, if you like. But when they're no longer partners, it doesn't mean their friendship or relationship ends. It's not less of a relationship in heaven, friends. It's a greater one than what you can even imagine. Now listen to the heart of your pastor about this subject. Since there is no marriage in heaven, and since marriage on earth is to image Christ and His church with a husband, with a husband, with a husband, lovingly and sacrificially leading his wife and his wife willingly submitting and following his leadership. Why would you not work hard at reconciling and building a godly marriage now? If you can't have it in eternity, what are you doing wasting your life, wasting your home, wasting your marriage in conflict, turmoil, bitterness, pride, selfishness? What are you thinking? You're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to be full of regret for how you treated your spouse. For the kind of tone you set in your home. For the lasting influence and memories you'll leave with your children and your grandchildren because you were so stubborn. You were so prideful. To have it your own way and to declare your rights. Why would you do that? The Bible says clearly, friend, that marriage is a gift from God to you. It's not yours to treat that way. It's God's. You wonder... Why your home is the way it is. You wonder why you can't communicate with your spouse. It's because of the posture and attitude in your heart before God. Why would you waste your life living like that? Why would you not this very day, this very moment... Humble yourself before Almighty God and depend on His power to change your home. In verse 30, Jesus not only exposed the Sadducees' false belief about the resurrection. Notice what He did. He also exposed their false belief about angels. Now look at your Bible carefully. Jesus did not say that we will be angels. Do you see that? Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Don't go to the funeral home and say to someone, well, I guess God just needed another angel. That is horrible theology. God doesn't need anything. And all of the angels that exist have already been created. You're not an angel. Heaven knows that. No, you will be like angels. In the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20 and verse 36, Luke's account of this interaction with the Sadducees helps us understand what Jesus is saying that we will be like angels. And that's why I tell you repeatedly, friends, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. Listen to Luke 20 and verse 36. For they cannot die anymore, because they they are equal to the angels and are sons of God and being sons of the resurrection. Why are we like angels? Because in the resurrection, we'll never die again. We're sons of God. We're sons of the resurrection. In heaven, we'll be like angels. We won't marry. In heaven, we'll be like angels. And that will be glorified, we'll never die, and will serve God faithfully. And we will always delight to do His will, and we will continually rejoice in His presence. We'll be like the angels, but we will not be an angel. Mark that down. That's what Scripture says. And so after answering their question regarding marriage and the resurrection in verses 31 to 32... And Jesus takes the opportunity to confront and refute the Sadducees' denial of the resurrection. And he does this by asking a question of his own and by referring, look how wise Jesus is. What scriptures did the Sadducees accept? The law of Moses, the Torah. What does Jesus do with his question? Point them to Moses, the only person they accept. And so in verse 31, Jesus says, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Luke in his account in Luke 20 verse 37 says that Jesus said to them, But that the dead are raised, even Moses shows. Do you see that? Sadducees, you tell me there's no resurrection? You tell me that you only believe in the law of Moses and Moses never talks about the resurrection? Oh, you've misread You've forgotten something, because Moses does show us the resurrection. Now notice in verse 32, Jesus quotes Exodus 3, 6, where God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, And in Exodus 3, 6, God reveals His name Yahweh. I am who I am to Moses. And He reveals that the object of this revelation is to assure Moses of His active, saving presence on behalf of His people to rescue them from slavery in Egypt. And notice the verse. God declares Himself to Moses in the present tense. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Present tense. And with that statement, he is saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them, are spoken in the present tense. Because as Paul says, to leave the body is not to be dead, but to be alive outside the body. And even though in Moses' day, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long left the earth, God is saying to him, they are not dead. They are alive. It reminds us, friends, that there will be a resurrection of the body one day. But until that day, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead in some kind of soul sleep awaiting resurrection. God is saying to Moses, Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, and he is saying to you and me that they remain alive awaiting the resurrection body, but not resurrection life. They're alive. And notice the language that he uses in verse 32. The God of, it implies a caring, protecting relationship, which is permanent because of the one who made it. God is putting His character on the line and He is saying to Moses, I am the God in the present tense. You don't have to just look to the past to find me. You can look at me right now. I am the God of the present tense. I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. I am not the God of people who are dead. I am the God of people who are alive. They belong to me. I have staked my character, my care, my reputation Upon their life. And so Moses. Trust me. If I could raise them. I can deal with Pharaoh. God is not the God of the dead friends. He is very much the God of the living. And listen. If the Sadducees had read the scriptures. They would have known of the power of God. To raise the dead. They would have known that Yahweh is a covenant God. And that it is impossible for Yahweh to abandon His people. Especially. Listen friend. Especially when they die. Yahweh has an everlasting relationship with those who belong to Him through His Son. And Jesus Christ is the source... Of resurrection life. Listen to what he said of himself in John chapter 5 verses 25 to 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given the Son authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Do you hear it? Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the source of resurrection life. And He says emphatically... That every single person who has ever been born in this world will experience a resurrection life. That they will hear the voice of God and they will be resurrected. And some, he says, will be resurrected to life with God in eternity in heaven. Others will be resurrected to life in complete and utter judgment forever. In hell. So listen carefully to me. It's not that only Christians. Get a resurrection. Non-Christians get a resurrection. We all get a resurrection body. Christians get a resurrection body of joy. And fulfillment. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more cancer. No more death. No more struggles. No more hospitals. That's the kind of resurrection life Christians get. Non-Christians get a resurrection life that is lived in complete and outer darkness. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And where the worm never dies. It is a place of eternal torment separated from God, experiencing God's judgment forever and ever and ever Never ending. So friend, don't just think that this life is all there is. It's not all there is. Jesus, who is the source of resurrection life, says so. But he's not only the source of it, Jesus is resurrection life. Listen to what he said in John 11, verses 25 and 26. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And listen to how he ends it. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm asking you this morning, through the very words of Scripture, do you believe what I just read? That Jesus is resurrection and Jesus is life. And that if you turn from your sin and your disobedience and your rebellion to God and you turn to Christ and you depend upon Him and you ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior, that when you die, you'll live. You'll live because He lives. Because He's resurrection and life. And you have your life in Him. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You say, well, how do I know I believe it? (laughs) Simple. Are you staking your eternity on it? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven, friends? Being a good person? Doing good things? Coming to church? Being a good spouse? Being a good parent? Being a hard worker? Hoping the good outweighs the bad? Being sincere in all that you do? What are you hoping in, trusting in to get you there? Jesus says he's the only one. There is no other way. Listen to him in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say he was one of many ways. He didn't even say he was the best way. He said he is the only way. And no one, that includes you, and it includes me, comes to the Father except through Jesus. You cannot bypass Jesus and that's what the Pharisees were trying to do they didn't like what he had to say so they wanted to get rid of him and that's what the Sadducees were trying to do they didn't like what he had to say and so they wanted to get rid of him they thought there was another way to God than through Jesus and they were wrong and you will be wrong the Bible may not answer every question that you have regarding the future But here's what I know, it gives you encouragement, it gives you hope, and it gives you the promise of a future in Christ if you will turn to Him and trust in Him. So I ask you this morning, do you have this encouragement? Do you have this hope? Do you have this future? Do you have Christ? Do you have Him? Notice the text. Matthew says in verse 33 that when the crowd heard Jesus' answer, they were astonished at his teaching. If you look in verse 34 in the next section, Matthew says that the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The crowds were amazed. The Sadducees were silenced. I love Luke's account. This is how Luke describes the end of it. He says that some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well. Don't you think the Sadducees hated that? You told him the truth, Jesus. You spoke well. And the Sadducees, Luke says, no longer dared to ask him any more questions. Speechless. Silence. What about you? Are you astonished by Jesus? Jesus. Are you amazed by the wisdom of the Son of God? Are you in awe of his resurrection power? Are you silenced before him in your objections? The Sadducees were not convinced. How about you? God has put eternity in our hearts. The Bible teaches clearly that this life is not the end. That God has declared that it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. And friends, there will be a resurrection of life to those who know Christ as their Savior. And there will be a resurrection of judgment and eternal punishment for those who reject Jesus. Won't you come to Jesus today? Won't you rest in him? Trust in him for eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you today for Christ for the promise of a future and a hope and a resurrection in him. And oh God, we pray today that you would open the eyes of those who haven't seen Christ and what he's done for them. We pray that you would Soften their hearts and silence their objections. And that in this very moment, you would draw them to yourself and save them. We pray today for those with broken marriages and broken homes. That you would use the simple truths of this passage of Scripture to convict, and to heal. To restore before it's too late. No, God, we pray for healthy marriages. We pray for healthy families. We pray for a healthy church. That you would be glorified. And we pray today, God, that those of us who know you would carry the reality of this passage with us wherever we go, that everyone we interact with will have a resurrection. May you give us a heart for the lost and for those who are apart from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.